Okay, let's open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And if uh, you were here last week, uh, this is kind of reminding you a little bit of what we talked about last week as well as with the slide. Uh, If you weren't here last week, then you're convinced that you've come to a church with a pastor that's a dork. Um, But let me kind of illustrate it this way. Last week, we had talked about in Galatians 5, the goal of life is to be people who are honoring the Lord with our life. And that looks like the kind of person to where I get that. I mean, I really get that. I get that God has called me to be someone that's honoring him, living for him. The, the curse and the condemnation of sin, it's done, it's over with. Uh, it's not that I'm not a sinner anymore, but it's like the curse of it's done. There is no more condemnation, uh, Romans says. And so the walk with Christ is kind of like, I will use the illustration of a lawn. I mean, in essence, God wants our lives to be a beautiful lawn for him. I love lawns like I talked about last week. I just, man, give me a beautiful lawn. Let me roll in it. And that's just beautiful. But... We also understand that in the reality of it, uh, we have weeds popping up. It's like, where do those things come from? It's amazing, isn't it? You put preen down, you put crabgrass killer down, you put broadleaf killer, and they still keep coming back. Man, I'm telling you, that is so like us. Redeemed, yet not fully glorified. And so we have these things come up. And in essence, I'm walking through life kind of with this two, with this picture. Strapped on my back is the Banville, like I talked about last week, the broadleaf killer in it, to where when I'm walking in life, I'm aware of what's going on in my life, what's taking place. And when I see areas of my life that it's like, no, that's not what should be there. God's not pleased with that. He doesn't want to see that there. I grab it out and I get after it. And I seek to take care of it and I work on it. I'm not a legalist. I'm not round up. I'm not just killing everything, uh, but I'm getting after those weeds. But as we talked about, one of the things that they say, a strong lawn not only is about uh, having people that take care of the weeds, but it's also about feeding it. So I'm walking through life to where I'm literally seeking, my life is to be fed fertilizer. I'm a vessel of the Lord to be used. And, and I, I, am I that kind of vessel? Am I the word of God coming in, being placed in my life and around my life so that can be happening? What's going on? Well, not only are we to, in the whole idea of feeding and and getting after sin areas of my life is that a reality. But if we leave it in Galatians 5 there, there is a great reality where it can feel very alone. Okay? Like the picture I just gave you, I think the idea of the, uh, of the weed killer, the idea of the fertilizer are helpful illustrations of what I'm saying. But I think there's an error, in essence, in my illustration that I just gave you. And part of that illustration of it is, is I'm by myself. I'm doing it alone. We're talking about really what I would might use this term, soul caring. I mean, this whole description right here is about walking by the Spirit. I'm genuinely caring about my soul being a place of great glory to the Lord. And in this soul-caring reality, we as a country, in our culture, we love individualism. 
and it fosters that idea that this whole soul care, feeding, killing, getting after it thing, it's all me alone. And it's all you alone. And I want to let you know, Paul doesn't end with this idea of being someone who's growing in Christ alone. Instead, there's together. And I think chapter 6 today is going to help us see this as Paul continues his discussion. Now, with that in mind, I want to take uh, just a brief momentary break. Um, Two things. One, I want to make mention and encourage you. I'd love to have you here next week. Next week is going to be a significant week here. And if you could do anything you can to be here next week, I really appreciate you to be that. Eric's already made mention about it. We are in the process of putting an offer on a facility. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking very specifically about where, what exactly is going on. Uh, There's not going to be a sermon next week. We're going to be talking through the process of what's taking place as well as just some other family things. We're going to have communion with Romania and some other things going on. Very special week and a significant week for us next week. The other thing, kind of, how's this for random? It's a holiday weekend, so I'll take it. Um, Karen and I were talking today about lunch. What are we going to do for lunch? And we thought, you know what, we'd love to do something really patriotic. So we're going to have lunch at El Rodeo. <laughs> and uh, if you would like to come and join us, come on along. We're going to be over for lunch. All right? Now, end of those two items. Um, Now, every so often, back to our text, uh, every so often when I come in and preparing for a sermon, I get to this place to where I'm like, okay, there's some things behind the scenes, discussions within the commentary, kind of scholar world outside of me that I reference and I'm spending time with. And there's times where I'm like, do I talk about this? Do I share this with you? And today there's something I do want to share with you and spend maybe five or so minutes here talking about because I think not only will it clarify where I'm trying to go today, but I also want to bring this up because I think it'll help you and challenge you in your reading of the scripture. So I'd like to call Bible Class 101 together here for a little bit, okay? All right, now, when you read your Bible... The intent is to be able to draw out of the scriptures what the author has to say. Now, let's clarify. The author. The author in Galatians, there's a human author, and that author is Paul. And now, we obviously know because we call it God's word, this is more than just Paul's writing. This isn't just a human person putting their thoughts and philosophies down. This is about God's writing. First Peter chapter 1 says, And God moved men along by the Holy Spirit and penning down what they've penned. That's why we actually have a translation of the inspired Greek text. Okay, If you have a scripture, which you should have in your hands, we're about the Bible around here, you have a translation of the inspired words of God. Now, one of the things about in our uh, uh, text is I want to understand what did God have to say with this, okay? I don't want to get to that place where we kind of are like, I think this is what it means, and I take it in realms where God didn't intend it to be taken that way. In other words, when Paul's writing it down, let me give you a couple examples. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
You see, when I was a kid, I used to call that a pull-up verse, and the reason was because literally we used to go out to camp in Colorado, outside of Colorado Springs in the mountains when I was a boy, and we'd go, and they'd always have, you know, you the competitions and stuff and do pull-ups, and had to do like 10 pull-ups when I was a wimp, and so, you know, as a little boy, I'm doing pull-ups, you had to do 10, and I'm like at 7, and all the counselors are around going, come on, Doug, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ah, never got beyond seven. <laughs> Felt great guilt over that, that me and God have a problem here. Uh, but I just want to let you know, that's not what Paul meant with that verse. It's not that I can go out and run a marathon right now. I can go out and run a half mile right now. Okay, that's not what this is talking about. Actually, look in the context. It's about being, God has given me the ability to be content in this. I can be content in this situation because of Christ. By the way, Paul was writing that from jail. Another passage of scripture is Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gathered together, there am I in their midst. You know, because where two or three gathered together, there am I, God is there with us. Guys, like, so if I'm by myself, God's not there. I just want to let you know, Matthew 18, 20, it's not saying what oftentimes it's said to be saying. It's within, actually, the context of restoring a believer. Uh, another one is uh, Romans 8, 28. Uh, and we know that all things work together for good. How we usually define that is what I want good. Life's going to get easier. Life's going to feel better. God's going to make everything turn out fine, and I'm going to understand everything. Uh, that's not at all what that's talking about. Romans 8, 28 has 20, verse 29 tied to it so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. A sovereign God allows things to come into our life. Why? Because he is advancing us along to become more like Christ. Listen, we don't want to be the kind of people that are taking verses, little snippets, and taking all of Scripture like it's the Proverbs where it's just got these nice little statements, and so I grab it and pull it out of its context and pull it out of its meaning. Now, when you read your Bible, one of the things, whether you know it or not, that has influence on that and has application for our text today is chapter and paragraph breaks, okay? Paragraphs for us contain a unit of thought, all right? Paragraph and chapter breaks are not inspired of God. They are used in writing in various cultures on how people think to follow the flow of the text, now, let me show you an example here, just in English. Here's the New uh, Living Translation. Uh, don't worry about the text. It's Galatians uh, 5, 16 through chapter 6, verse 10. We're not covering all that, just 10, uh, chapter 6 part today. But the thing I want for you to look at is the yellow lines. See the yellow lines? Each one of those yellow lines is a paragraph break. You can also see where the chapter break. Now we go to the New International Version, and look, there's less chapter breaks. Now we come over to the English Standard Version, New American Standard. I speak out of the English Standard Version. We see actually three paragraph breaks here. Now we come over here to the New King James Version, and there's only two. Like, what's the deal here in all these translations? Well, obviously, the Greek text is the one. That, so I grab my Greek Bible and find out, and here's where the breaks are at. There, so it's like, I just want to say this. Paragraph placements are not inspired issues. Okay? 
They're there in different cultures, in different languages, actually to help flow of thought. Now, with that reality, that's the fact of the matter of how that works. With the reality of that, what then happens is the translators, because we have a translation, have to make decisions on where do they put chapter breaks, what are the units of thought. Let me give you an example here of the New International Version, a really good translation. Verse 6 and chapter 6, we'll come to later on, it's its own paragraph. Why is that? I think for two possible reasons. Number one is, is it can be that way because they are thinking it's actually a new unit of thought. The second reason is, legitimately so, is, is we're actually not sure. And so we're going to set it aside so that you can be able to, in essence, make a decision. You come over here to uh, uh, the New King James versions or the ESV and ASB, you can see that verse 6 actually starts a new paragraph. Usually the first sentence in a new paragraph is starting a new thought. The translators are thinking that there's kind of a new thought moving along. Why am I bringing all this up? I'm bringing all this up for two reasons. Number one, I want for you to understand that when you read your Bible, paragraph, chapter, verse breaks do impact your thinking. They just do. And I want for you to be students as you read the scriptures to not be so caught up in paragraph, chapter, breaks as to be caught up in the flow of the author. What's the authorial intent? How is thought moving? Okay? I think paragraph and chapter breaks are really helpful, but we have to be careful with it. Now, the second reason I bring this up is because the text that we're hitting today, which is chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, uh, actually has a lot of discussion about it. Um, is verses 1 through 10, uh, all of chapter 6 actually, is it kind of like the Proverbs where Paul is making a bunch of various little statements and concluding his letter? Some think that's what's taking place. Um, where I am coming from today as we go through this text is I'm saying this. I do not think that's the case. I think what we are covering is a continuation from chapter 5 all the way through. Okay? Now, you may be going, huh? Here's the point. What we're covering today, I think, flows out of chapter 5 of this. We're called to be love servants. We're called to be walking by the Spirit. We're called to be the kind of people who are getting after the flesh and crucifying it and the kind of people who are feeding the Spirit and being about that. And what we're about to talk now fits right along with that continuing idea. Okay? So let's dig in. God, I pray as we dig into chapter 6 here that you would allow us just to be able to see the importance of walking by the Spirit, of living the Christian life, the absolute, I'll even say mandatory importance of doing that together. God, I pray that we would be the kind of church that sets itself apart by caring for the souls of each other for real. And God, that's a challenge. That's a challenge in our world. That's a challenge in just each of us because we just want to be about ourselves. We just do. We struggle with that. We admit it. We acknowledge it. But Lord, you've called us to be love servant, walking by the Spirit people in community. May we pursue after that and help us to see more of that in our text here. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, got your Bible? Galatians chapter 6. Let's actually start verse uh, 26 of uh, chapter 5 here, okay? 
Here we go. Uh, Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, if you look back, let's go back to verse 24. He says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. That's the banville spraying the weeds, getting after the weeds in our life. Verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. That's the feeding. That's the nurturing. That's the, listen, I I am being a vessel that God can truly use. Now we look at done all of a sudden verse 26, and it's let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And it's kind of like, I don't know about you, but when I first read that, it's like, did he mean to put that right there? Because it's kind of out of order. What's he talking about? Oh, I think he's actually, verse 26 is transitional. In verse 26, he's bringing in this idea of this. Let's, listen, let's not be conceited people, boastful, self-righteous people. Let's make sure that we're not provoking people, challenging others kind of people. Let's make sure that we're not envying people, the kind of people that where jealousy is within and among us. Why? Because if we're those kind of folks, we are not going to be soul-caring kind of folks. You see, because this is a, that verse 26 is saying, listen, don't be all about you. Let's make sure that you and I are working and not being all about me because God literally knows we struggle with that, don't we? God literally knows that we struggle with that, don't we? Okay, thank you. Yeah, he does. And here Paul is bringing out this, let's see, let's not be me people. Let's not be me people. Instead, as we're moving into this, I think what Paul is getting at is, listen, let's be soul caring about others people. Let's be soul caring othering people. What we've just been talking about, about walking in the spirit, love serving one another. Listen, I have to not just care about what's going on in my life. I have to be caring about what's going on in your life because brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in this together. We are in this together, okay? And that's a wonderful thing. What does this togethering look like? Well, let's dig into our text. Uh, First here, verse one, I think this is saying, in other words, very clearly, soul caring means that we're a restoring kind of a people. Soul caring is about restoring. Uh, Verse one, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, notice it's brothers, if anyone, Uh, it's talking to believers in Christ, brothers, sisters in Christ, followers of Christ. If any of you, Okay, so whoever is a follower of Christ who has received Christ as their Savior is redeemed from the curse and the condemnation of sin. It's talking to you and I right here. And what is it saying? It's saying if anyone, now anyone means, uh, yeah, thank you. Anyone means anyone. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, this can be all of us. Can this be me? Yeah, because I'm an anyone. Are you an anyone? Yeah, yeah. Okay, brothers and sisters of Christ, if anyone, we're all in this together. It's really important that you get this. This is any of us. If anyone is caught in any transgression. So a couple of points. Number one, one of the points is that out of this is that any of us can get caught in a sin. Any of us can get caught in a false step, right? Hey, listen, Just because I'm saved and redeemed in Christ does not mean that I do not know what sin and temptation is about. Okay, and you as well. You know what sin and temptation is all about every day, all the time. Let's be real people about this because the scripture is real about this. If anyone is caught up in a transgression. Now, 
if anyone is caught in a transgression. Now, there's, there's discussion about uh, what this actually is, the em- what is the emphasis of this? Because when you read this first up, I'm going to guess here's what you and I think, which is what I've generally thought. When we read this, I kind of think when anyone is caught in a sin, I'm thinking, gotcha. I saw you. I saw you lie. I saw, I was at the video store and I saw you getting a video mm, and it wasn't Snow White. <laughs> okay. And I saw you, I caught you. Now, the, the text does include that reality. Listen, if someone is caught, gotcha. Uh, I don't mean church police kind of a thing, but I do mean the reality if, if I've been caught in a sin. Yeah, it's talking about that. But when you see context, when you carry flow of thought both prior and after this, I want to toss out something to you which I actually think this is the greater emphasis of the text. I may be in the minority on this, but humbly, I think I'm right. <laughs> okay, so, but I put it out there. This is what I'm under, because this word in the Greek not only refers to getting caught, as in publicly caught, this also is clearly multiple times used in the reference to catch myself. I really think the flow of the context of this has to do with this idea that if any believer in Christ, as you and I are walking through life, and all of a sudden, we go, my goodness, I'm caught up. I, I may have known about it, but all of a sudden now it's got my attention. I may not known about it, or maybe I've been excusing it, but all of a sudden it's like, wow. And I find myself at that place in life. You find yourself at that place in life where it's like, I'm caught up in this. Anger, bitterness, resentment. I'm caught up in greed. I'm caught up in sexual immorality. I'm caught up in all, any of those kinds of things that we talked about last week in the text. I all of a sudden find myself caught up in something. What do you do? What do you do when you find yourself caught up in sin? I think that's a great question. And I really think that's where Paul's going here. Paul's really trying to help us understand, what do we do? What do I do? Let me just ask, before we go any further, let me ask you, what have you done? Um, A couple observations, I think, is is in my own life and working with other people, some things that tend to have happen is there tends to be this thing to where I go it alone. You see, because it's me and God. You see, because it's me walking, fertilizing, and and, and spraying. You see, it's my job. I've got to do it. And and so often there's the alone thing. So often there's just the, you know what? I've been trying to work at this area in my life. Seriously, I've really been trying to work at this area in my life for years and years and years, and I just give up. It's just not worth it anymore. 
Is that what's going on? That oftentimes happens. Another observation, oftentimes when we get in those places, we don't go around other people, or I'll put it this way. We go around people that maybe we shouldn't be going around with our situation. Now, let's keep on reading. Brothers, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, I love this. You see, Paul could have used any kind of word here. The Spirit of God had Paul specifically use the word here that is referring to actually this idea of you who are spiritual. It's not saying, doesn't say pastors. The text doesn't say elders. The text doesn't say deacons. The text doesn't say small group leaders. The text doesn't say children's ministry workers. The text just says you who are spiritual. That's really in the Greek would be a proper understanding of it. Why? I love this because so often we are in a professionalized society and the mindset is, and this is fine, this is part of it. Everybody who I just named is included in that potentially if they are spiritual. So let me say this, brothers and sisters in Christ, you who are spiritual, well, what does that mean? Well, I don't feel very spiritual. No, what it's talking about, I think, in the context is go back to verse chapter, or chapter 5. The person who is not perfect, it can be a new believer in Christ who is advancing in their walk with the Lord. It can be the kind of person who is just literally, who is getting at, living out the fruit of the Spirit. They're getting after their flesh and they're growing in their walk with the Spirit and they're showing the fruit of the Spirit. Listen, you people, usins. I want to tell you, as a pastor, part of the reason I'm championing this is because I'm just telling you, folks, you may think so, but I do work more than one day a week, okay? Or you may not think so, but I want to tell you, here's what I love about it. It's not all my job. In fact, according to Scripture, according to Ephesians, my job is to train youans to be spiritual and doing what we're about to talk about. So it's like, well, dude, so you don't get to do it? <laughs> no, believe me, I'm part of it. I'm part of the process here. But I want to say this right now, make sure what we're about to run through here in the next minutes, that you aren't thinking that's someone else's job. Okay? What we're about to talk right now is about you and me together. We're in this together. Are we in this together? Yes. Are we? Okay, you don't even know what we're in together on. Okay, here we go. You are so trustworthy. Brothers, if anyone is caught up in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore. By the way, this is present active imperative. If you've been here for a few weeks, you're getting the idea. I'm bringing it up. That's a Greek term for the form of the verb. It means it's a command. It's a command to be presently and continuously doing something, whatever the verb is. Paul's been using these all over chapter 5 and chapter 6. And he's saying this, you who are spiritual, usins, you are to be presently and continuously people commanded to be restorers. We're to be restoring kind of people. I just want to say sometimes, I don't know from your church background where all of you are at, but I want to say some of us have come from backgrounds to where that hasn't been the feeling of what's been going on. We've come from places where it's been about condemners not restorers. Imagine what God could do with people who literally are like, man, I want to tell you one thing. 
We are a restoring church. And if that were for real. People everywhere, everywhere, when someone falls into a transgression, it's not like, (laughs) I cannot believe that. Listen, that is so arrogant. Because the fact of the matter is we all fall into sin. We're all called to be restorers, you who are spiritual. And by the way, that means I care like this guy does. That may means right now I'm on that side of the rock and I'm like, listen, I care and I'm willing to help restore. Can I help? Maybe at that point it's that, but I want to let you know what. Next week, it may be I'm like, I need some help caught up. Hey, I want to tell you part of what with this whole building discussion, oh man, bear with me. Part of what so concerns me is when we start talking about facility stuff, we get out of ministry mindset. And it's like, we've made it. We're in the building. This is what we want to be about. You who are spiritual, restore. You who are spiritual should restore him. I love this. Look at it. In a spirit of gentleness, not condemners, You see, conceited, provoking, envying people aren't gentle. Gentleness, chapter 5, verse 23, is a fruit of the Spirit. Gentleness is there because, you know what? Let's keep reading. Keep watch of yourself lest you too be tempted. See, restorers are the kind of people, as I made reference to, restorers are the kind of people who when I come along and I'm in an opportunity to be able to help you in an area of life, I know what the battle's like. I'm not arrogant, not conceited. I'm like, how can I help you, bro? I mean, I want to help you. And you're willing to place yourself around somebody who can help you along. And I am in that thing in a gentle way. It's not like, see, Scripture says don't sin, stop it. Now go home. Changed. Come on. It's about bringing the truth of Scripture to bear on the reality struggles of life that you have and I have. And it just happens to be right now, in this point in time, I happen to be in a place where I'm seeking to restore you, and I'm going to do that with gentleness, and I'm going to be watching myself lest I too fall into it. It is interesting when you look at history and as I've talked with others, and I know even in my own life when people struggle with things, it's interesting how when you help them, not all the time, but sometimes it's like, goodness sakes, that hasn't been a struggle in my life. And it's like I'm helping them and it's like, this is like becoming a struggle. It's, it's intriguing. But there's a humility, a gentleness. Watch yourself lest you too be tempted. We know what it's tempted. So, so we, uh, um, so soul caring is about othering. Soul caring is about restoring. And third, I want to jump here into verses two through five. Soul care is about bearing. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. 
bearing, has this idea of carrying with endurance. Guess what? This is a present active imperative verb as well. It's a command. Not only are we to be commanded to be ongoing restorers of one another, but you and I are commanded to be bearing burdens of one another all the time. Of burdens, difficult life situations a person has trouble coping with. I just want to say this is side by side. This is life on life stuff. Bearing burdens. Pride says, you know what? I can bear this alone. We'll expand on that here in just a couple minutes. But there are some things you can't go alone. And I want to let you know something. If you look at your life and you're like, I'm struggling to go this alone, I want to encourage you that that is a call from the Spirit of God for you to get with someone who can bear the load with you. You and I were never intended to bear it alone. And guys, you know the whole man thing? Let's be men, real men. By the way, pride also on the restorer side can say, I'm not going to bear their burdens. They deserve it. God's prov- uh, sovereignly placed that in their life. Suck it up, dude. Um, I wouldn't quite view that as gentleness. Bear burdens. Whose burdens? One another's. Uh, this is really especially talking about follower in Christ, bearing follower in Christ burdens together, one anothering. Uh, why bear their burdens? Look at the text. Uh, for you are spiritual, restore him with gentleness. Keep watch. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you realize that when I bear someone else's burdens, when you bear someone else's burdens, as in chapter 5 talked about, I think it's verses 13 and 14, talks about this idea of everything comes down to this. Love your neighbor. I think that's what Paul is referring to here. When you and I bear each other's burdens, when you're going through a hard thing in life and I'm allowed to be able to come inside and help you along in that time and I care enough to soul care about it with you, listen, God is incredibly honored and glorified. That's the way my kids do it. That's the way. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. I'm so grateful. It was just a little while ago someone had said, you know what, I've been told that if I don't let someone else get involved and help me in this situation, that I'm taking away serving opportunities. And that is exactly correct. You see, this is both sides of the table here. This is talking about being someone that I'm actually going to place myself around people. And I'm going to be transparent enough as going through life to where when there comes times where things are getting tough and things are getting rough, I'm going to reach out and put myself around spiritual kind of people. And they're there. And by the way, I'm going to be willing to do that. And not only am I going to be willing to do that, but I'm going to be someone who's willing to help with that. So when they're going through struggles of life, I just want you to know, bro, I'm here for you. And you will not surprise me with any kind of sin you may think you want to say. I'm here for you. Why? Because Christ cares for my soul and your soul, and therefore I do too. Bearing burdens, verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Boy, that seems out of place. No, it's not. 
Because people who think highly of themselves don't bear burdens of other people. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, let's just all be reminded we're all nothing. We're just, we're all nothing. Well, that totally goes against self-esteem. Let me turn that around. It's not about self-esteem. It's about being God-esteemed, okay? Let's like get off of ourselves and let's get on God. That's really what this is talking about. Let's be the kind of people to where in essence, if we're gonna boast in anything like Paul talks about in his own life, he's like, I wanna boast what Christ is doing in me. I'm nothing. But because of Christ, oh, booyah there's some cool stuff that can be happening with what's taking place. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Well, I thought he said, don't boast in yourself. Now he's saying boast in yourself. Well, no, this is talking about what I was just referring to, what Christ has done. Verse five, for each will have to bear his own load. Is Paul like schizophrenic? Because I thought just a little bit ago, he said, in essence, bear one another's burdens, like don't bear your own burdens. And now he's saying, bear your own load. Here's the kicker for it. Verse five, the Greek word that's used here is not talking about, if you will, those special burdens of life. It's talking about the general loads of life. I want first to understand that what's taking place here is Paul is not saying, listen, Christians, you need to function like this ridiculous out of control welfare system where you just take care of everybody and everybody who's hurting and just, you know, let them abuse you. That's not what's being talked about here. In verse five, he's really saying, listen, follower of Christ, you need to bear the loads of life that are general reality bearing loads of life. But when it comes times where there's things in life where it's just overwhelming for you, my goodness, God's people should be right there. And that means God's people need to be available. And that means I need to be placing myself around God's people then building relationships with them. Okay? Bearing, bearing one another's burdens. Verse six, soul caring is about sharing. Soul care is about sharing. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Again, if you just read this, go back and read this after the service and you will kind of see that it's like, wow, it seems like he's jumping back and forth. Again, I don't think so. In short, I think what Paul is communicating here is Paul is basically saying this. The word for sharing here is, is, is actually this idea of giving a share. I just want to say it's stock market. I've got 10 stocks and I want to share a little portion of that with you. It's the sharing, giving some of this. And so what he's talking about here is someone who is with being helped along in life. Someone is around them. They've placed themselves around someone. That person is helping them. I've found out that I'm, I'm struggling in an area of sin in my life. I'm putting myself with someone spiritual to help them, to help me. They, or whether it's one person or a couple people, are helping me in this area of life. I need to make sure that I am sharing the good things that are happening in my life. Let me bring this into this perspective. The whole restoring and bearing, man, that's heavyweight stuff. Just straight up, that's heavyweight stuff. It can be incredibly heavyweight stuff. And it's like, oh my goodness, being around together, it's just a burden. It's just a load. Uh, Let me put it, it's an opportunity load. But I love the fact that he comes in here and he also says, listen, it's not just about a load. I want to tell you, doing what we're talking about here, soul carrying one another, this rocks. 
and it rocks when we are the kind of people who are communicating to those people that are helping us. I want to tell you the good things that's taking place in my life and what God's doing in my life. I'm seeing growth. I'm seeing change take place. Helping them to be encouraged that God's doing a work in you. It's not just load. It's also, yeah, rejoice. This kind of thing, we come together and we share what God is doing. I just want to say this. Are you the kind of person who comes together with other followers of Christ, other here amongst this church, and you talk about the Colts, you talk about the Pacers, you talk about, you know, indie races, you talk about whatever kinds of stuff, you know, hobbies and so forth. I'm all for that. That's great stuff. That's all for that. But I just want to say, is the chasm of what God's doing in your life non-existently communicated? I fear to say that it is. I really think it is. Because part of the thing is, guys, I I just want to say, I don't think we think about this in advance. I I think so often we're so self-centered on what's going on in my life that we forget to share with other people how God is working in my life for his glory. And especially to those who are teaching you. This is not a call for you to start sending me cards this week. I want to be very clear about that. That's not what this is about. I think in the context of it, I would challenge you this week. Has there been someone who's been coming alongside you and helping you in a struggle of life right now in the last while, and you haven't been sharing what God has been doing and changes and encouragements that's been taking place in your life? I want to challenge you this week to share all good things with that person. Would you please? Would you please? You see, sometimes there's such a tendency for that, honestly, to happen to me because I have kind of this public role. I just want to plead with you. It's not about me. I would even say, would you consider, parents, if you see some things taking place in your child's life that you know has come from others, adults, investing in the life of your child, say, like during Sunday school, Would you let them know? Because my, 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 what an encouragement that is. Not a proud thing, but just a rejoice. It's worth it. Sometimes you need to have that that encouragement that it actually, it's worth it. And God's doing some stuff. That out of a one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. I'm over time, so we're just going to read this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. I'm just going to tell you, I think this is in the same context. The person who's being restored, what you sow, you're going to reap that. If you're running down that track, you're going to reap that track. Uh, verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. No, 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 don't grow weary. Keep at it, keep at it. Even if some of the results are hard, you're not seeing people turn or people have turned and then returned. You know, keep at it, do good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Friends, I I pray that our time in Galatians would end with this resounding uh, 
cry that we be the kind of people not caught up in legalism, not caught up like the Judaizers in, in, in works-oriented uh, uh, religion gospel, but that we would be people that just resound and rejoice in the fact that the gospel is about grace and it brings freedom. And that freedom calls me to be someone who's love serving others and walking in the spirit. And that looks like a group of people that are coming around and othering and restoring and bearing and sharing. Let me tell you, that kind of church can change the world. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much for our time. I want to thank you so much, frankly, for your immense patience. You are the great restorer. The person who knows Christ has been restored back to you. And Lord, as Christians, as Christ ones, may we be the kind of people that walk like you. May we be the kind of people that place ourselves around others. God, so often today, people are waiting for the church, their local church to set up a program for them to be able to make that happen. God, I pray that we would be men and women enough that we just see that this is a command call for my life, for each of our lives. And God, that we get after it. That we get out of the isolated bowl life. And that we get with people. May we be initiators of it. May we be othering, soul-caring people that restore and bear and share all good things. For your glory, we are nothing. You are everything. You have saved us. You are strong. In Christ's name.